So let's start off with the passage that's been our theme throughout the treasure's principle. It's in Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is. Will be also. And that really is such a great passage of what the treasure principle is about. It's not about that we can't have wealth or we can't have possessions. The point is, is it's not the end all. We're not here for just this world and for its possessions. We're looking forward to something much greater. And so whatever wealth or possessions we do have on earth, we want to use for His glory, for His kingdom. And so here were the points that we learned from the treasure principle just as a, a, re, a refresher course. So the first one was that God owns everything. I'm just His money manager. Now, I'm, I'm very grateful though He lets us manage it. Right? I know the kids in here are going, I don't got any money. Well, enjoy that actually. Your life was a lot funner and easier when I didn't have money to worry about. So, enjoy that. The second one was, my heart always goes where I put God's money. And I think that is very true. And I'm sure as you've been studying out the treasure principle, you've had to check your heart as so much of what, what Kevin was talking about, how our heart, money and heart, man, they, they, they play with each other. And we've got to take it serious. And then the third point was, heaven, not earth, is our home. We're, we're on a temporary journey. This is just a tent that we live here on earth. We're not planning to stay. We're planning to get to a much greater place. So why, why fill up with stuff here that we can't even bring with us? Then, I should not live for the dot. In other words, that's your little life on earth. But I live for the line that extends for eternity with God. Either you can live for the dot. Well, you can do that. But it doesn't last forever. Or you can live for the line, which is for eternity. And then I appreciate Bill last week closing out these two points. Giving is the only antidote to materialism. And I believe that's true, and it doesn't matter what part of the world you live in. Those who are giving tend to not be as materialistic. For those that are tend to be less giving. I know that in my own heart, my own life. And finally, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Now that's a challenging one, especially for us Americans where we are preached at with every media outlet possible to raise our standard of living. And it's not that you can't live well, but that's not why God blesses us. Amen. He blesses us so that we can be generous and help those who are in greater need than ourselves. So now what should I do for this last lesson? Since we already got all the principles, well, what I know is that principles help in our understanding, but don't always help us in our application. We tend to need to see something that we can imitate. We need examples of people who have these principles in their heart. And so I thought it would be a fun little journey to look at five different people or groups of people that really exemplify an aspect of several or one of these principles so that we can go, that I can imitate. So you guys ready to take a little journey? We're going to start in the Old Testament and we'll finish in the New Testament. The first one, the Israelites gave more than enough. As they were traveling through the desert, God eventually gave them commands that, hey, you need to build this tabernacle. And He blessed them with the gifts of art and, and all those creative things that now they could build this tabernacle. But to build something, you need material. And to get material, you have to have funds. And so let's see what happens. How did the Israelites respond 
to this need. In Exodus 36, verse 3, it says this, They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order. I don't know if we'll ever have this order in our church, but that would be an amazing day. He sent word throughout the camp, no man or woman is to make anything else as an offering. That'd be like me coming, guys, no contribution this week, please, enough. I don't know that day will come, but that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. That's such a great example of the treasure principle. A group of people who had basically been slaves in Egypt now traveling through the desert, and God gave them the money. They didn't have jobs in the desert. But when they left, God so conditioned the hearts of the Egyptians to give them their treasures. So now as they're in their desert with these treasures, what do they do with it? They don't go buy homes. They contribute it to build God's temple. I believe that's the heart we need to imitate. Now, I don't know if we'll get to the point that we give so much, I have to go, hey guys, enough, please, no contribution for a month. That day could happen. That would be pretty amazing, would it not? Or special missions go, guys, we've already made our goal. That's enough. Just hold it back. Save it for next year. How cool would that be if we had that kind of heart as the entire people of God? That's a challenging example to me, but I'm inspired by it. Maybe that day will come. The next one, guy we all well know, David. Now, David, amazing man, man after God's own heart, as the scriptures say, but he also made some mistakes. In the context of this passage, he made a mistake of counting the men. He was incited by Satan, which means influenced by, but it was still his decision. It's because he began to look at his kingdom rather than God's. But fortunately, God had to judge him for that, and a plague was sent. But eventually, the priest came to him and said, this can be stopped if you'll offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people. And so that's where we take up this story here in 1 Chronicles 21. So David goes, okay, I need to get this this land to build an altar so that I can prevent the plague from continuing. And here's what we see in verse 22. David said to him, let me have the side of your threshing for so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at the full price. Erana said to David, take it. Let my Lord the king do whatever pleases him. Look, I will give the oxen for the burnt offerings, the threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat, For the grain offering, I will give all this. Now you'd be like, oh, awesome, cool, yeah, give it to me. Because who doesn't like free, right? Anyone here like free? Yeah. But is that a sacrifice if it's free? No, it is for the one who gives it to you. But is it what God commanded David to sacrifice? No. And the reality is it's true. Things that are free, we don't value as much as things we pay for. I know this because being one of four kids, I got a lot of hand-me-downs. Okay, When I got the hand-me-downs, I didn't care what happened to them. They got dirty, ripped, I didn't care. Because they were free. But if I had to raise the money 
to go buy the clothes, oh man, I took care of those things. I would, I would wipe my shoes each day until finally it got too bad, then you don't care. But initially, things you buy, things that you invest in, things that you have to sacrifice for, those are a lot more valuable than the free stuff, isn't it? Look at David's response. But King David replied to Arana, No, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. So David paid Arana 600 shekels of gold for the site. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar a burnt offering. Does your giving cost you something? David would not accept a free sacrifice. He says, no. It's got to cost me something if I'm going to offer it to the Lord. Think about that. And I know God wants us to have that kind of heart. I know for me, every year, I think I feel like, oh good, I got my special missions, and my weekly's good, and then something always goes wrong, Right? Car breaks down, air conditioning goes out, you name it. Every year, it never fails. And I often wonder, why? Because it cost me something then. If I didn't have to cover these other things, I wouldn't feel the sacrifice in the same way. But man, when I'm like, okay, I have to take care of this, i got to fix that, but I still need to give, now it costs me something. And the reality is, it means more to me at that point. So when we think of our giving, we think of David... Are we just going through the motions? Not really costing you anything? I think God wants us to give to the point that it does cost you something. Because then it's a true sacrifice worthy of our God. Let's go to the New Testament. The centurion. Now this one's actually kind of unique. This one caught me off guard. We normally look at the story because of his faith. Jesus recognizes his faith. And remember, this is centurion, which means he's a Gentile. Okay, he's not a Jew. He's not of God's people. But there's a little point in this story that really shows a heart of a treasure principle as well. Let's read it in Luke 7, verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders, to the Jews, to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, the centurion, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Did you catch that? Yes, I know the story goes on to say that he had incredible faith and Jesus recognizes that. But what was his motive of even motivating Jesus to go? Because this man, who's not even a Jew, had a heart of treasure, of building something better and more than for himself. He built a synagogue that he couldn't even enter. As a Gentile, he couldn't enter it. Yet that was his heart. What this tells me, guys, is that God, whether you're a Christian or not, but you give for others different than yourselves, God recognizes it. He commends that. And if we're honest, guys, there's a lot of giving people in the world. And we need to commend it. We also need to imitate it. But I love this example of the centurion that he gave to something that's other than for himself. And I believe our church does this every single year. 
Whenever there's a need, whether it's in Manila, whether it's in Eurasia, whether it's in Mexico, whether it's in Haiti, no matter what it is, whenever there's a need outside of us, we give to it and we benefit nothing from it. Except, I believe, having the heart of the centurion. That we give to others that are different than ourselves. And it's such an amazing thing to know that our giving can benefit someone else in that way. These people benefited from a centurion that had this heart to build them a synagogue that he himself couldn't even enter. See, how many of us are willing to give ultimately because it honestly benefits us? I think some of us will even give to God because it benefits us, because we're blessed if we give. But what about giving to where you have no benefit? But others do. That's the heart of the treasure principle, and God recognized that in the centurion. You know, I'm excited that, you know, coming up in April, we're actually going to have a brother from Tbilisi, Georgia, that'll be able to come and share how your giving to others than yourself has blessed them. Uh, they, for many, many years, had to meet in a facility that, honestly, none of you would want to go into. The bathroom was just a hole in the ground. It, it was terrible. But they didn't have the means. I mean, because their giving sometimes meant they brought a chicken or they brought grapes from their vineyard. Like, that was their weekly contribution. They didn't have money. How would you like that for giving? That would be a whole different type of collection plate. Here's a chicken. Got it, got it. You know, I mean... But what's so amazing is what we've been able to do through Eurasian Missions, we were actually able to front them eight years in advance to actually purchase a facility that they can now meet for many years. They would have never been able to do that, but because we were willing to build a synagogue, (laughs) now our brothers and sisters can meet and invite other Georgians to it. Isn't that cool? So I'm looking forward to April being able to see that. But see, not all of us have the heart of a treasure principle from the start, do we? Some of us may deal a little bit with greed or deal with materialism or deal with wanting to to get wealth. But you know what? We can be a transformed giver as well. And now we see the story of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So we already got a little information about Zacchaeus. He was a guy who collected money, not gave money. That was his life. And as a result, he was wealthy. But he also was unfortunately ostracized, especially by the Jews, because he was considered a traitor to collect the money. So though he had wealth, he probably felt very alone. He probably, as he walked through society, you begin to realize, wow, I'm wealthy, but I have no friends. I have no relationships. See, you begin to really see what's really valuable. And I believe Zacchaeus was was yearning in his heart for relationships more than the wealth. And he heard about Jesus. And what happened? He wanted to see who Jesus was. Because he he knew that Jesus had no money. But man, he had a crowd. He had people. There was something about Jesus. He didn't need money for people to want to be around him. He's like, I I want to figure this out. Who is this Jesus? And so, when Jesus... He wanted to see who he was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. See, money can't change your height, you know. That's just one of those things. You can get some stilts or something. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, I love this, because it's like Jesus walking through, but he had to have noticed, who's this little guy walking up into the tree up there? That, that grabbed his attention. 
And when he got to that spot, Jesus didn't just walk on by. He stopped. What did he do? This is cool. He looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Guys, you want to evangelize like Jesus? You don't need to invite him to your place. You invite yourself to their place. That's evangelism on a whole other level. And I think you'd be surprised how people would respond. Because I think, honestly, people are lonely. And I think they want real relationships. Maybe we need to have a week where we don't invite anyone to our home, we invite ourselves to theirs. And see what happens. See what happens. I mean, that'd be so cool to see how God could work doing that. But bring something with you that's very helpful. Okay, we are in Texas. Okay, you want to be hospitable. You say, I'm coming to your house today and I'm bringing barbecue. They will let you in. Okay, I'm just telling you. I know I would. I'd let you in. I really appreciate it. Kevin brought, brought me some food this week when our family was all sick. Man, I was like, wow, cowboy chicken. And man, that was some awesome cobbler, by the way. That was some really good stuff. You know, that, that's, that was the heart of Jesus. Let's see how Zacchaeus responds. Does this change him from being a person who collects money to a person giving money? So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now, I give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. How did this man go from being a collector of money to a giver of money? He met Jesus. What this tells me, this example, this story, is that, guys, your spirituality is absolutely connected to your giving. Until he was transformed spiritually by his encounter with Jesus... He was someone who collected money. But once he encountered Jesus and something transformed him spiritually inside, now he became a giver of money. So if you have an issue with giving, giving's not your problem. It's your spirituality that is. That's what this story tells me. Your giving will be fixed automatically if you're transformed by your encounter with Jesus. And that's why I appreciate what Kevin said. We've we got to not just come and, and go through the motions. We've got to encounter God. Because only when we encounter God are we transformed to be someone who was a taker. It's now someone who was a giver. What an amazing example of Zacchaeus. The last example is a group that we know well. I'm going to read two passages. It's the first century disciples. Acts 2, 44 through verse 45. All the believers. How many? All. Not just like 15%? No. 80%? No. 95%? No. no, all. Every single one of them. Were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Okay, I, I got to stop right there. I'm already convicted. I'm thinking, okay, there's a lot of stuff in my home. I'd be getting no problem sharing. But then there's a few things. Ooh. I don't know if I want to hand over my laptop. You know, I, that's a, I've invested a lot. I mean, I'm just being honest. There's a lot of stuff I have no problem with, but there's a few things 
I still think are mine. Thank you. Amen. But if I'm going to be like the first century Christians, i got to get to a place eventually where nothing's really mine. I'm not there. I'll be honest. I'm not there yet. There's certain things. I mean, ooh, this is challenging. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you have no problem with this. But this was our first century brothers and sisters. This is their heart. Because they believed all these possessions were from God anyway. But they shared everything. What? Everything. Just 70% of their stuff, right? No. Everything they had. With great power, the apostles... Can, yeah, I mean, this is amazing. They sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I have seen that in our church. Uh, you, you, most of the time, guys, you don't even know. Because it happens in, in a small group that maybe you don't know about. But I get to hear it all the time. When there's a need in a group, man, the church responds. And it's not just from benevolence from the church. We do that too. But sometimes the need is greater than what we can give them from benevolence. And the brothers and sisters come through and meet the need. Often more than that's necessary. That was the first century church and that's what I believe our church is. But let's look at the next one. Acts 4 verse 32. They didn't just do it one time. This continued in the history of the church. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. So even later in the history of the church, Again, as the church is growing, because at this point it's thousands. And for those who know any of the history, you've got to remember that a lot of these Jews were from the Diaspora, which means they came into Jerusalem for Pentecost. Now that they were converted, there was no church to go back to. They had to stay. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have careers. But the church was able to come together and to, to help sustain those people until God eventually sent them home through persecution and other means so that the gospel could be advanced. But until that time, that was a lot of people who had some needs. But the church met it. Now, to me, the incredible example, and again, this notice it's a from time, sometimes, not all the time, but from time to time, some people who had the means had this heart of the treasure principle. You know what? We're building a kingdom, a kingdom of God. Not my own paneled houses, as, as some of the Old Testament scriptures say. And they sold their homes, they sold their possessions, and they just gave it to the apostles. You know, if you're wondering, like, can we trust the church with money? It doesn't matter. They just gave it to the apostles. So you take care of it. You'll know how best to use it. They trusted them. I'm glad we have reliable and loyal men who help with our administration. That's why I always say, don't give me the money. Give it to the people who are good with it. And I'm glad we can do that and trust that. Because that's not always the case. We know that can happen. But they sold homes. Now, I'm not encouraging anyone to go do that right now unless God puts it on your heart. But the example, if there's a need, would we be willing to? That's just so challenging. And here's the reality, guys. Many of you, we've come from a lot of different churches. 
Do you know how many of the churches that you were converted in only exist because brothers and sisters did sell homes, did sell cars, did sell wedding rings, did sell possessions? I know some of those stories. I've been around long enough to know them. I'm converted because someone had sold a home. Someone had sold a wedding ring. Someone had sold a car. And and planted the L.A. church where I was met. I know the same happened for Dallas. The same happened for so many churches. Guys, here's the thing. We benefited from that. But who are we going to do it for? What are we willing to sell for the benefit of someone else in the future? Part of our plan, guys, is we've got to get down to uptown and downtown Dallas. We've got to impact the the next generation and the singles. Are we willing to sell possessions for the benefit of others? That's the example that we see from our first century brothers and sisters. So guys, I hope these examples help inspire you. I don't know about you, they inspire me, but they also challenge me. They had the heart of the treasure principle. So as we leave today, we need to imitate these examples. The Israelites, who gave more than enough. Stop giving! It's too much! David, no, I won't accept free. It must cost me something to be a worthy sacrifice. The centurion, who gave to help others different than himself. Zacchaeus, who used to collect money and that is becoming a transformed giver, now gave money. And the first century disciples, who gave to anyone who had need. Let's close with 2 Corinthians 8.7. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Let us embrace the treasure principle. Let's build God's kingdom. As we continue over the next few weeks, and Gordon's going to be preaching a couple of these messages, we're going to focus about building that kingdom, about sharing our faith, about loving people where they're at. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer and we'll be dismissed. Lord God, I am so inspired and challenged by these examples, by these people, by these communities who had the heart of the treasure principle, that they were not building something on earth that is temporary, but they contributed, they sold possessions, they were willing to give for something greater than themselves to build the kingdom of God. God, I pray that we too, who have benefited from that kind of sacrifice, that we can do that for someone else. In the coming weeks and months, I pray, God, that You'll help us to see our possessions as Yours, as ones that we can use to sell, to to use to Your advantage, to contribute, to support, to create opportunities for people to hear the Gospel. Help us to be a light. Help us to be like these individuals and communities so that we excel in the grace of giving. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are dismissed. Thank you, guys.